Love Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining me today. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Uh, again, happy to have everybody here, whether you're catching the show live or in archive on one of my podcasts. Uh, hope uh, you'll get something good out of our show today. Let me tell you a little bit about me real quick, and then we'll kind of dive into today's uh, subject matter here. Um, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a professional uh, navigational consultant, which means my expertise is actually, in this case, in astrology, numerology, tarot, runestones. I read all kinds of different types of oracles, have worked with them in clients for many, many years, have a home office here in Phoenix, do phone sessions for out of area clients, as well as, uh, obviously, uh, people in area in my home office here. If you want information about any of the work that I do, uh, go to my website, jimventura.com. I am also a uh, published author as well as blog columnist. If you're not already getting my monthly newsletter, email me, venturasage at yahoo.com. Get it to the free monthly mailing list so you can take advantage of specials and, um, and uh, classes, information, and all kinds of good stuff, as well as discounts on readings and and you get to read my column uh, before they're printed in book format as well, too. And all I, there's always all kinds of other good astrology information and things that I include in the column once a month. So, okay, that's uh, a little bit about me. Uh, we've been doing the show for a number of years now. I've got some different formats for each show. Uh, typically, I do, uh, this is the beginning of the month show. I'm actually a week late. wasn't able to get to it last week. And today I'm going to do a live column read of my new uh, current June uh, newsletter column. Um, I'm going to talk about that in some more detail uh, for a lot of you listening. I hope you'll, you'll get some good insight. You know, a lot of times I get people calling in. Uh, in fact, I already see I've got a few people waiting uh, in the call uh, list area. And I always like to remind my listeners I don't take live calls um, on my uh, column read show. Uh, just because of the little mini readings people ask for, and I love doing them, uh, read show uh, just because we just generally don't have the time uh, to get to those. On rare occasions at the end of the show, sometimes I have a few extra minutes, I might get a call or two in, but honestly, most of the time that's not going to happen. Um, your best bet uh, if you're looking for a free, you know, free five-minute mini read um, is to call during the Astrology Listener's Choice shows. There will be one at the end of this month. Call in on those shows. I talk about astrology for about 15, 20 minutes, and I usually take about three, four live calls. Um, so those are fun shows. And sometimes I do extra shows during the month. Lately, I've only been getting to about two shows a month now, two or three. Uh, every Thursday has not been easy. Business is extremely good right now. So I'm not able to get to the shows, but I'm still going to make sure I do at least two or three each month. But we'll be back again in two weeks for the astrology show. So if you want to call in, that's the show to call in on when you're looking for free mini reads. Uh, and we got, you know, I haven't been doing, uh, I also used to do uh, guest interview shows. But you know what, I, it's funny because I, that uh, how flaky people are when, <laughs> when I try to, bring the book them for, for shows. Like sometimes they're excited and then they don't answer me or they don't get back to me. And, you know, unless I'm not going to act myself out if you, if you can't uh, commit to doing a radio show, then I'm, I'm going to move on. So I haven't really been doing too many uh, interview shows. I enjoy doing them a lot. I've had some great guests in the past. So I'm sure we'll do a couple of those. 
Again, um, if you want to know what the formats for the shows, you know, sign up for my monthly newsletter, as well as you can follow me here on Blog Talk. That way you know, again, remember that if you're looking for the little mini-reading shows, the astrology one is often the one that I, I do that uh, most commonly with. In fact, I always do on the astrology show to make sure I get some time in for callers. So anyway, um, again, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I'm going to do. I'm gonna start off by doing a live column read here. Uh, from last uh, this month's column. And then I want to talk about this in some more detail. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of times you may have questions and things you're wanting to ask, and, and it's one of the reasons that I, I, I suggest people sign up for my newsletter and get my column. I have this, uh, I guess, weird knack for often talking about subjects and things that are very significant for the people who actually read them where it is a help. I get letters from people all the time saying, it's amazing, you wrote about this, this is kind of what I've been going through. And so, um, you know, it, it is. So sometimes we get the answers we're looking for in, in other ways than we necessarily would have thought. And I think that that's kind of a key thing to understanding uh, that about, about ourselves and our lives, that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily come through the channel we think it's going to. Okay, now, let me start. This was a new column. Uh, every once in a while, of course, I run a rerun in a column, but this is a brand new piece that I wrote. I'm going to read this column, and I'm actually going to talk about runes today, and even probably a little bit about some animal totems that are going to interconnect with this as well, too. So let me start off by reading the column. Uh, this month's snake oil is called Excessive Striving. Like many people, I've spent a good portion of my life wondering if I'm ever doing enough. When I was a waiter and a bartender, I would often feel bad when I turned down extra shifts. This was in part because I knew the restaurant could really use me and appreciated my competent, reliable work ethic and skills. Most of the owners and managers I worked for were happier when I was there. The other part was the inevitable discomfort I would feel when I got my paycheck and realized it could have been a bigger one. The uncomfortable feelings I often felt were mostly about me feeling like I was being too lazy. My parents installed a strong work ethic in me and my other siblings. We're not afraid of doing a bit of hard work, especially when we're paid for it. We all started working at a young age to earn extra funds, which was probably prompted by the fact that they never gave us any actual money. As strong as my willingness to work has always been, I've always prioritized the value in taking equal time to rest and play. I learned early on that staying healthy involves getting enough sleep, exercise, play, and enjoying occasional vacations. This all contributes toward keeping me sane and being able to return to work again. After all, no work, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Over the years, I've gotten a lot better about worrying about whether I'm being too lazy. Yet the struggle surfaces more often than I'd like it to. The usual list of what I should be doing include I could easily get another book done, I could be months ahead in writing my columns, I should do more radio shows, I could work out five days a week instead of the three or four I currently do, the house could be cleaner, I should be doing more self-promotion for my business, etc., etc., well, I know I'm at my best when I average around 16 appointments a week for navigational consultations. I sometimes get annoyed with myself when I have slow weeks. I wonder if I should, should have put more energy into marketing. As of late, and more often than not, I don't lack getting enough business. 
and often have a full schedule of appointments booked about a week in advance. I sometimes feel badly when I have to make clients wait a week or two for their sessions when I have these busy weeks. I know they could use the insight, and I hate to disappoint. Yet I know I'm at my best when I don't overbook. When I overshoot too far above my average by taking on too many clients, I'm not as clear and focused. Still, that small voice inside still tells me I should work more and more and more. Excessive striving is not uncommon for people with some impatience embedded into their wiring. Impatience is one of seven fears, chief negative features. Impatience centers around a fear of being victimized by time. We tend to get intolerant of the way others do or don't do things, and we often get annoyed with ourselves as well. In numerology, we often see this tendency in people with this number eight prominently in their charts. The inner voice pushes us to feel guilty if we're not doing enough. It's like having an internal, lime, an internal lion tamer and whip as a motivator. It often originates from familial or cultural influences, but needs no outer prompt when we become an adult because it is now firmly embedded inside. It often excessive striving is not a good thing. We can get caught in an unhealthy trap of trying to do too much. As much as I still get tormented by my own sense of whether I'm being too lazy, I am extremely good at relaxing. I have truly perfected the ability to enjoy and prioritize downtime. I often joke that I live like I am semi-retired in some ways. I like to buy fresh groceries every two or three days, and I cook almost all of my own meals. I take one or two naps every day, in addition to sleeping seven, eight hours a night. I go to the gym four days a week for an hour each time. I meditate a few times a week, and I watch a few hours of television almost every day. I take baths once a week, especially in the winter. I take about seven vacations every year, and I take many vacations, which consist of one afternoon, one evening, and night to my local casino two or three times a month. I often stay in the hotel and drive back the next morning. When I was told by Michael Channel years ago that I have a goal of relaxation, it was no surprise. Amidst all this relaxation and fun, I still get a lot of work done each week. I write a monthly blog, published three books so far, and I'm working on two others. The amount of time and effort that go into editing is considerable. I do through radio shows each month. I do all of my own marketing, continue to read and research to improve my skills in my field. I put a good amount of energy into eating well and taking care of myself both internally and externally. I comfortably and easily take care of endless details of life, and I do it really well. As much as my you're not doing enough voice inside taunts me with how much I should be doing, I really get a lot done. While it's rarely not beneficial to make more money, most people encounter another type of discomfort when they work too much. Often they end up sick or simply exhausted from overwork. Relationships with one's children, family, friends, and mate often become strained. Most people experience the same thing when they begin to work excessively and make more money. They still don't ever seem to have enough money. Standards for what we purchase tend to rise and never go down again. More things require more maintenance. We rarely end up happier because we're working and making more money. We gain in one way and we lose in others. Excessive striving isn't always about earning more money or increasing our success. We can get excessive about being ready to date after a breakup. 
We can overreach to go back to work after a flu or an accident. We get consumed with the need to lose weight and have the perfect body. We can excessively strive to increase our knowledge, spiritual development, and to achieve the right education. We can get obsessive about finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend, finding a husband or a wife, and choosing when to have children. The problem arises when our striving is based on fear as its motivation. We either never truly achieve our goal, or we get there and still feel unfulfilled. When we fear that we won't ever get there, we are unconsciously and subconsciously programming ourselves to manifest the very thing we don't want to happen. Overreach and attempting to reach goals we're not truly ready for often creates more problems to resolve. Of course, there are times in life when we need to muster extra strength, work overtime, and go the extra mile. Crisis and to deal with it is sometimes a part of life. Still, crisis in the overall scheme of things is relatively rare. Other than my adorable cat, I don't have any dependents. I'm currently happily single. I don't have to take care of me. Most people have a lot more to get caught in excessive striving about. The responsibility of being a boss and directing others is often not easy. Taking care of a sick spouse, child, or parent can be challenging. Raising a family with all the responsibilities attached to doing that well can be a tremendous amount of hard work. The need to make money for our children's college, our retirement, pay off our debts, and so many other things can push us to get excessive. The things we believe we need to do now to have security for our future often bind us to the joys of living in a comfortable present. Yet if we prioritize taking care of ourselves and trusting that we will be able to manifest the things we truly need and not the ones we think we need, we're often able to accomplish this far more fluidly. Impulses and enthusiasm will naturally spark our drive to accomplish our needed goals. When we are healthy, well-rested, in shape, and take time to listen to our higher self and our inner wisdom, we make better decisions. Over the years, I've radically changed the way I view what success is over the years. Now, I see true success as an ability to be happy, enjoy the present, live comfortably, age gracefully, and trust that my creative drive is appropriately recharging when I'm resting and playing. Okay, so that was this month's column, and this is an amazing, after like endless, endless rounds of editing, I just caught something when I read this that I, 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 I wrote a, a sentence that said, over the years, and ended it with over the years. This is the, this is the magic of editing, by the way. Any, anyone who gets into, into writing will see how endless this is. I mean, like, I've printed books that have been edited by five people, and me repeatedly, and then even later saw where I still found mistakes. It's amazing. <laughs> That's why you can get compulsive about this as well, too. I know I've gotten excessive about editing sometimes. Anyway, uh, welcome everybody to the show. Hi, Jules33. I see some people jumping in and out of the chat rooms here. Um, again, I think I've got a couple people who have called in on hold, but I'm not going to be taking live calls for today's show, guys. We have too much to talk about, so I can't get to any mini session readings today. Um, I'll be doing those two weeks on my astrology show call back then if that is what you're looking for. Okay, so 
again, welcome everyone uh, in uh, chat rooms uh, live as well as um, in uh, archive if you're catching the show later on. I just read uh, this month's column, Excessive Striving, which was a new piece that I wrote. Again, one that had been building for many years, finally kind of came and surfaced. You know, if you're, if you're getting my monthly newsletter, one of the things that you will catch when you click on the link to my monthly uh, newsletter um, is I had an image symbol on there of the rune, um, a rune stone called Laguz, L-A-G-U-Z, um, and the runes are a Viking oracle that I work with, and they're awesome to work with. Um, and uh, the rune that I used, uh, I put in a reverse image of uh, the rune uh, called Laguz, which is the rune of flow. And it's funny because I actually got some of the idea from this piece, of course, from that rune. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today in more detail because uh, it's definitely significant in both its upright and reverse position. Uh, but, where, you know, I got that a little bit from, um, you, know, uh, you know, I got the, the idea from this piece was, was something that collected partly due to this idea that I had read and studied working with runes and working with other people. Um, and one of the things that I love to tell people, and this is a reference to animal totems, is uh, I do sessions with people with druid animal totems, uh, and uh, i got to say it's amazing to work with these type of things. One of the totems that the druids use is the sort of small bird known as the wren. And one of the things that the, the, this, this totem or animal uh, consciousness is meant to teach us is that small can be beautiful, meaning that we can, uh, you know, we can... We don't have to be larger than life to be to be beautiful, to be successful, to be part of God's world. Also, uh, like there's an element of this that reminds us that small birds, when they build nests, will collect up things. Like you know, if you ever see a bird's nest where it's got newspaper in it, and you know, sometimes you'll see stuff about a bird's nest put together with that'll make you laugh, like a condom wrapper or something. Where you're like, oh my God, how did I get in a bird's nest? But you know, the funny part of it is what the Druids understood was that. We use pieces and things from others. You know what I mean? When we do things. You know, anyone who's creative understands this. We have original creative ideas, but we also do use other people's creativity and ideas. You know, when we copy them literally and take credit for it, that's one thing. But to use other people's insight, wisdom, and, and talents is, is no crime. This is as natural as can be when it's done in a harmonious way. So I definitely used a little... Uh, runic wisdom when when contemplating and writing this piece. In fact, I even you know literally used the actual image in that sense. So I want to talk a little bit about that because uh, I think this may give everyone some insight at a couple different levels, and of course it ties in with the whole topic of conversation here about what excessive striving is all about. So I'm watering my plants here as I'm talking. Okay, finish with that. All right. So let me. Uh, read this quote from the runes. Now, uh, a rune, if a rune comes up upright, um, sometimes runes come up reverse, some runes come up both upright and reverse, some don't have reverse positions anyway, but the dynamic behind a reverse rune does not mean that it's bad. It just means that we're maneuvering, we're needing to maneuver more, and I hate to say cautiously, but we need to maneuver more carefully. That would be a better way. That there may be something we need to heal to fix, to repair. We may need to be uh, conscious of how we really act and maneuver at this point. 
So I'm going to read the upright position on the rune of flow as well in a minute, but I want to read the reverse first because that's where some of this um, came from. So Luguz, uh, L-A-G-U-Z, the rune uh, of flow, reverse says, and this is a quote from the Ralph Blum book of runes, which is like the best runic book I've ever seen, um, interpretation book. Luguz reverse, he says, a warning against overreach excessive striving, a counsel against trying to exceed your own strengths or to, oper- or to operate beyond the power you funded to date in your life. Lugu's reversed often indicates a failure to draw upon the wisdom of instinct. As a result, the intuitive side of your nature may be languishing, leaving you out of balance. What is called for now to go within, to honor the receptive side of your warrior nature. So beautifully put, uh, you know, anyone who does uh, anything about runes or done any study with them knows that this is, the, again, the, one of the quintessential books to go to for rune uh, interpretation. Uh, it, it's a great message. And, and, and you know, and look at, uh, like what I had even talked about in the piece, like sometimes we're just kind of overreaching in a way where we're just really almost knocking ourselves out to try to get to something um, when we mean not necessarily be ready for it, really, in that sense. And that's what he talks about when he brings up the idea of honoring the receptive side of your warrior nature, which is what we think we have to do isn't always necessarily in correlation to what we intuitively know is right. And, you know, uh, sometimes uh, we, we have to kind of really, really look at that because, you know, again, to me, when we're excessively striving, like again, as I had mentioned in the piece that I wrote, we either get there to what we're striving for and are unhappy, or we actually never get there because unconsciously we fear getting there. And, you know, and this again, it can apply to so many different areas. But the thing of it is, is we're throwing ourselves out of balance. You know, it, it's almost like I catch this sometimes as, as someone who works out. Um, a couple of times a week, and I enjoy that a lot, actually. People often say, oh, it's amazing that you can commit to it. I'm like, no, I, I mean, I started doing it when I was younger, and I love working out. I enjoy it a lot. I don't just go because I feel like I have to. I go because I enjoy it. Something that I that I, I like body maintenance. It's, sort of, it's fun for me, weirdly enough. Um, and there's a lot of benefits that come out of it, too. But one of the things that I see is sometimes I'll see people, like they're beginning to work out and exercise um, and they, they kind of run into that excessive striving issue, which is they really want to get in shape fast. They really, they, you know, they, they're overdoing it. They don't, they're not necessarily just going to start working out, uh, work out a few, you know, uh, uh, you know, 15 minutes a day for a couple of days, which is what I would often suggest. They're going to start immediately by going five days a week. They're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to really watch their diet. You know, it's the same thing that happens when people often have radical weight loss. Like, even the body does release the weight, and it works emotionally, psychologically, and energetically, the thing that caused the weight issue is not going to necessarily be resolved instantaneously. Again, at a very practical level, often if you're very, very heavily overweight, it's because you eat too much and you don't exercise enough. It's not brain surgery. But at a deeper level, all things are interconnected. So for many people, again, just using this as an example, you know, when we're heavy, 
and that's how I can end up having another extra 10 pounds on or something. Most of that's really meaningless. And for people like me who of like six pounds overweight, I'm neurotically uncomfortable about it. <laughs> but uh, I'm talking about like, you know, a lot of extra weight. Really, the, the dynamic behind that is, you know, weight is like armor. Energetically and emotionally, we've been hurt. Uh, so it serves another purpose. And so when we have radical weight loss, sometimes we can't catch up. That's why there can be a wisdom in doing things methodically or slowly in that way, giving ourselves a chance to energetically catch up to, to where we truly want to be. So, you know, but again, when we're, when we're excessive, we're often going against the grain of our natural needs. Now, like I had said, again, going back to the piece I wrote, Listen, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to really step it up. You know, the crisis situations come up. Things have to, you know, someone's got to take charge here. I mean, absolutely. There are going to be times when that is the case. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we do have crisis in life from time to time. But I would say if your life is a constant series of crises, then uh, you might want to step back for a minute and look at what kind of life you're living because it, it, it really probably shouldn't necessarily be that way all the time. Meaning, you know what I mean, if you're stressing, you're worrying all the time, that can be uh, really, uh, I don't know, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's often not a good thing. I had a client here the other day who was same sign as me, a Sagittarius, really cool woman, very smart, very, uh, very interesting, very likable, like many Sagittarians can be. Some are a pain in the ass, of course, too, <laughs> like all sides, but she was very cool. But what blew my mind was she was, uh, I was born in 1964, and, and here's this woman who was born in 1957. Let's yeah, so, no, 1959. So she was all six years older than me. And I've got to tell you, she looked like she's about 15 years older than me. And it, listen, she has had a stressful, difficult life, and that will age you. Uh, in that respect, I've had my difficulties, but overall, most of the time, I, I tend to gravitate toward ease. So I get this, uh, that, that people age in different ways, but again, when you're stressed and, and in anguish a lot of times, again, it's going to age you a bit faster, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that if you're okay with it. I personally don't, don't want to rush the aging process, um, but uh, that, that, again, another element of, of living in stress all of the time. So... One of the things I had mentioned in this piece that I talked about was also talking about the life goals. I'm going to come to that in a, in a couple of minutes also. Um, but I want to mention the rune of flow in its upright position. So this is sort of the, the, the more, I guess, positive way of viewing and understanding um, a kind of an element of, of sort of healthy movement, so to speak. So let me tell you what the quote is about the rune of flow, the goose, um, and what it means in its upright position. Uh, it means flow water, that which conducts. And this is a message from uh, uh, the Ralph Bum book, uh, the Book of Runes. He says, unseen powers are active here. Powers that nourish, shape, and connect. The attributes of this rune are water, fluidity, the ebb and flow of emotions, evocations, and relationships. Laguz fulfills your desire to immerse yourself in the experience of living without having to evaluate or understand. It speaks to the satisfaction of emotional needs, to the awakening of the intuitive or lunar side of your nature. For while the sun strives for differentiation, 
the moon draws us toward union and merging. This rune often signals a time for cleansing, for revaluing, reorganizing, and realigning. Rune of deep, of deep knowing, Lagus may call you to study spiritual matters in readiness or self-transformation. Success now lies in contacting your intuitive knowing, in attuning to your own rhythms. Rune of the self relating rightly to the self, Lagus signifies what alchemists call the conjunctio, or sacred marriage. In fairy tales, it is the end where the hero and heroine live happily ever after. Okay, beautifully, again, beautifully written. I, I cannot rave about this enough. Wonderfully written and expressed. Uh, so very awesome that way. But, you know, this is an example of not excessive striving. Going with the flow of things. Moving energetically towards something intuitively, uh, instinctively, uh, in a way that, that's harmonious. You know, most people that are water signs astrologically have a lot of water in the charts can truly understand this. Sometimes the ability to be like water, to flow, to nurture, to, you know, to move fluidly is very much a part of, of what water signs can do with their best in that way. But the negative is, you know, being a water, sometimes it's like the, the stagnant pond or well, or like, um, you know, uh, that energy of swimming against the stream, so to speak, because you can't emotionally move through something. So all these things can come up. Again, very understandable for water signs usually can really grasp this idea very clearly, although, again, you don't have to be a water sign to necessarily get this. But we do. We naturally flow toward things uh, in that respect where we're not getting caught up in excessive striving when we're not trying too hard. Because, again, I had said this before in the piece, and I will bring this point up because it's very significant, that what we think we, meet, we need may not actually be what we need. I catch this a lot. Sometimes people are excessively striving to be in a relationship because they don't want to be alone, because they fear being alone. They believe to be alone is bad. They believe that, you know, they'll be unhappy. You know, and the weird part is, you know, most people who have had uh, experiences during a breakup who have healed in a functional kind of way afterwards always understand two things. The humorous side that I like to say, which is that all exes get hit with the ugly stick. Uh, when you realize, oh, why was I there in the first place sometimes? Um, but more importantly that, listen, being alone sometimes is actually a good thing. You know, we don't have to always be, when you're an addict to relationship, uh, that, that carries with it its own challenge. It may not necessarily be good for you. It may be a good period. It may be good to be alone for a little bit. Everyone's going to be alone at some point. Even if, you, even if you meet the love of your life when you're 16, marry and have an amazing relationship and uh, together for 60, you know, 70 years or something, not a lot of people have that experience, by the way, but people do. So even if that is the case, unless you have a car accident together or have a mutual heart attack at the same time, one person's going to pass before the other. My mother and father were married for, for 50-something years and, and fairly happily, and they had a good relationship. It was an interesting model to have saw. But at another level, my dad died four and a half years ago. My mother's been alone. She's been fine, but she's not really okay. She only knew a life of taking care of dad in that way, and being partnered, it's very hard for her. The idea of even considering dating, which she won't do, um, is terrifying. She, you know, she, she struggles with it. 
because she never had any real alone time in that sense. She went right from her family to another family and, and all of the things. So she, she missed that. So, again, that's what I mean. It's just one of many examples of what we think we want. We often think that we think we want. I know when I was younger I wanted to become a manager when I was working in a restaurant. And, you know, that the funny part of it is once I got to a position of manager fairly quickly from waiter to I wasn't a waiter, actually. It's another whole story. But uh, when I got management, I did that for a couple of years, and I hated it. And even to this day, I absolutely can't stand being in charge of other people. It just irritates me. I love that people who have a strong cardinality in their astrology signs, if you're a cardinal sign, you have a lot of cardinal, usually you get, you're good directors. You're good at managing and maneuvering and, and, and guiding other people, like in work situations and things like that. I absolutely hate it. I love to talk to people one-on-one. I like to work with people. I like to give them insight. But like managing people, oh, I'd rather have my foot shot off. <laughs> I mean, I just don't like it. I, I come from that philosophy of, you know, you do your job, do it correctly. Like, what do you really need a manager for if you're a functioning person? But I found a lot of people are not. So pat, pat on the back to everyone who's been able to manage others because I don't like it. But that, I thought that's what I wanted, and I strived for it, and I got it, and then I got there, and I thought, you know what? I went from being a manager quit the job as a manager after doing it for a number of years just to become a waiter and a bartender because I'd make better money and have to work less hours. People thought I was nuts when I did that. (laughs) But I got it. I didn't want to be consumed with all the responsibilities of management. So, again, just a couple of these examples uh, that, that we can look at in a personal life. Now, this is why, again, like I, my apologies to anyone who's called and tried to get in today. I just, we don't even have the time. We've only got about 10 more minutes of the show, and there's a couple of the parts of this I want to cover. So, uh, again, if you're catching the show and you wanted to get a little live mini-read, uh, the shows I typically do that are the astrology listener choice shows, and I will be doing one of those at the end of this month, I think two Thursdays from now. So call in then at that time, or again, Contact me, get a personal session. It's a lot better that way anyway. You may have to pay for it, but uh, you're going to get a lot more insight than a, than a quickie five-minute uh, thing over the phone. So, uh, or you can still, you know, again, you can uh, check out my website anyway, but, uh, or, or call the show in a couple of weeks. So the other thing I had talked about in this piece that I wrote is I had mentioned um, that I had gone to a Michael channel when I was younger, and he told me that I had a goal of flow or re- relaxation. Um, well, actually, the funny part is, in the original material where this channeling information came from, if you read the, there's a series of books by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough called Messages from Michael, More Messages from Michael. There was a whole series, and in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of Michael channelers around channeling the Michael material. It's awesome material, by the way. Highly recommend it. When the original books came out, the goal of life that I have was actually called Stagnation. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people got very politically uncomfortable with it um, uh, because it was called stagnation. It sounded so negative. But, uh, so they started calling it the goal of flow or relaxation, which is equally valid. I, didn't re- I never really bucked up against it being called stagnation because I understood that at some level, that it was almost like it's like you're coming in to have a lifetime where – it's not that you're necessarily stagnant, but you're not necessarily doing a million things. It's almost like you're learning how to enjoy a life. You know, it's sort of like, think of it this way. This is great because people who have this goal along with me understand this. 
when you're in a raft floating down a river, the feeling of not having to be in charge of how the 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 the, the river moves us and the enjoyment of the sun and the and the fresh air and all you know what I mean it's so amazing that that's the goal to just float so to speak so well I guess you guys here talk a little bit about this I do classes on this and teaching people this material uh, usually once a year here in my home office um, so again get on the mailing list if you're a local um, so uh, do private sessions where I, I teach this material to people who can't attend the classes. So uh, check all that out on my website as well. Enough sales here. Let me uh, tell you what the seven goals are so you can kind of track yours. So basically in a nutshell it's this. Everybody has one of seven goals. There are seven life goals. Um, they're chosen before birth, meaning it's wired into your astrology when you're born. In other words, you can't really change your goal. But there is some interesting dynamics behind all these goals that I, that I will mention and I will talk about as well, too, that I think also give you some insight. So let me tell you what the goals are. Um, the seven life goals are the goal of discrimination, which is uh, people in the goal of discrimination uh, uh, basically, I'd say it's probably all of maybe 5% of the population at any point will have this goal. The positive pole of it is sophistication, and the negative pole of it is rejection. So uh, in the original Michael's books, it was channeled as a goal of rejection. Again, people didn't like it being called that, so they changed discrimination. So I use like Simon Cowell as a perfect great example of someone clearly with a goal of discrimination. Very high levels of sophisticated smarts. A lot of chefs, a lot of people that are pretty savvy have this, uh, this goal, but they experience a little more rejection than other people do in life also. So it's very purposeful. It's almost like a fine-tuning life goal where you're going to get very fussy and very good at what you do in that sense and deal with the repercussions of that. Uh, the other, uh, another goal is acceptance. This one is probably about 30% of the population. This one is very common. Um, a lot of people have acceptance. It's positive pole is agape. It's negative pole is ingratiation. So agape is unconditional love. People in acceptance are able to accept themselves and other people in a very gracious way. They're likable. They're friendly. Um, the negative of ingratiation is that dynamic of trying desperately to please everyone and to get everyone to like you. People in acceptance go through a lot of turmoil when they go through this, when they are ingratiating, just kind of get, you know, it's like having the mother-in-law that's never going to like you no matter what because she'll never like anyone that married her son. <laughs> it's like the uh, everybody loves Raymond dance with uh, Deborah and, uh, and and the mother and everybody loves Raymond. Great great example of that. Uh, okay, the next goal is reevaluation, uh, which was originally in the books called retardation. Again, people didn't like that. Um, its positive pole is simplicity. Its negative pole is withdrawal. Um, some, I have a sister who has this goal. She's very intelligent. She's very smart. It doesn't mean you're retarded by any means, although most people who are retarded will have this goal um, because it's positive pole is simplicity, which is the ability to, to get enjoyment from very simple things at some level, which is an amazing um, attribute. Um, it, they don't necessarily want everything to be complicated. It's negative. It's withdrawal, which is the pulling away and retreating and avoidance of things. Um, the people in reevaluation are often studying one or two major areas in life very thoroughly. That's why it can seem like their scope is smaller 
but it's also more intensified. Only probably about 3, maybe 3% 3 of the population has this goal. It's less common. Then there's a the goal of growth, very common goal, making about 30% of the population. Positive pole evolution, negative pole growth, uh, confusion. So people in growth bounce from thing to thing. They grow, they evolve. They love that. Um, they have many experiences. They're always sort of a growing, uh, evolving human being. Um, the negative is confusion when they're overwhelmed and thrown into total discomfort and confusion. Uh, then we have submission. Uh, about 10% of the population will have this goal approximately. The positive pole is devotion. The negative pole is subservience. People in submission often have an innate, amazing ability to be uh, devoted to whatever it is they commit to. A lot of people in the military are in submission. A lot of nuns, a lot of priests, a lot of great mothers, great fathers, um, a lot of people that are, just have that innate ability to be devoted at some level um, in a very strong way to the things that matter to them have a goal of submission. Uh, its negative polarity is subservience which is a tendency to get taken advantage of or, you know, I mean, misused in a negative way uh, that uh, is, is that. It's subservience, where you're not really honoring your own needs at the same time. Then there's the goal of dominance. Uh, about 10% of the population will have this goal in a life. Its positive pole is leadership. Its negative is dictatorship. Uh, dom uh, dominance is pretty noticeable when people have it because they're strong. They're often confident. They're often directors at some level. Again, it's positive pole is leadership. They're able to lead. Dominance as positive pole can be very win-win for all concerned type of a dynamic. And it's negative is dictatorship, which is my way or the highway. Uh, you know, we're going to do it. You know, uh, Donald Trump is a great example of someone in, in dominance, which is hysterical because I don't think he sees how obstinate he is at times, about the way he sees things. But the levels, he's, he's a great leader. You, you, you know, it's sort of somewhat unquestionable, I think. Um, and then there's stagnation. We got six, maybe 6% six of the population will have stagnation as uh, a goal. It's positive flow, uh, positive pole is free-flowing, and it's negative is inertia. This one is my goal. Uh, very, you know, I, I think probably, uh, and surfers, have a goal of stagnation, by the way. <laughs> it's just almost innate to it in that sense. Of course, not every surfer is going to have a goal of stagnation. I'm talking about professional ones. But what you have often with this goal is often a lot of talent, ability, almost a natural inclination toward doing the things you do very well, but almost can seem lazy to other people at some levels. Um, very famous uh, celebrity from years ago, Paulie Shore, classic example of, of, of stagnation that way, or flow as a goal. So uh, you don't find that many famous people with this goal, by the way, just because it, it tends to be a tad lazy in that respect. I'm, I'm pro for someone in a goal of stagnation or flow, I'm actually pretty surprisingly famous, I guess. It's weird. I Googled myself the other day, and I'm like, my name just is like the top 35, 40 people that come. Things that come up on Google are me. But the gym name, Jim Ventura, is pretty wild. But the negative is inertia, which is that feeling of going against the stream. Sounds like a great goal to have. It is. It has the ability to slide to the other ones from time to time, too, a little. But believe me, like in all the goals, the negative pole is pretty tough. Um, one of the things that's amazing about this whole system is the goals that are next to each other can slide into each other. So, for instance, acceptance can slide to discrimination. Growth can slide to reevaluation and vice versa and vice versa. 
dominance can slide to submission and vice versa. That's an interesting dance there. Okay, uh, believe it or not, we're actually at the end of our, our show here. See, this is, again, why I'm often not able to take live calls uh, during this, uh, these particular shows. I want to cover certain material. Anyway, but uh, I hope you guys get some insight from that. Uh, from that, you know, again, look at yourself and, and, and discern between excessive striving. And believe me, it's not a good thing. I, I've done it myself, and I, I can see where it really, really throws me out of balance when I get too heavy-handed about things, like you're just not flowing in a harmonious way. Okay, uh, I hope we gave you guys some good insights for the day. Uh, thank you for everyone who's jumped in and out of the chat room and all the callers that patiently waited, even though I told you guys I couldn't get you the phones today. Uh, I appreciate it anyway. Uh, again, you can try uh, again in a couple of weeks when I'm on uh, for the Astrology Listener's Choice Show. Uh, thanks for joining me today. If you're not already getting my monthly newsletter, email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com to get added to the monthly newsletter mailer. You won't be disappointed that you're getting it. It is blind copied out, so no one will ever get your email address from me. If you're interested in a personal session, whether it's here local in Phoenix or by phone, uh, check out my website at jimbetter.com. My books and all the other good stuff as well, too. Uh, awesome. Thanks again, everyone, for being here today. Jules33 and all the other people jumped in and out of the chat room today as well as my callers, and I'll be here in two weeks. Have a great day, guys. Cheers.